podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Minefield podcast from Anfield Index Pro. As always, I'm your host, Alan O'Donoghue, and I am joined by my companion, as always, Mr. Andrew Vincent, Dr. Andrew Vincent. Andrew, how are you keeping? Well, we were talking before the pods, and the reason we didn't do anything over the summer was because life has given me lemons, a lot of lemons, but we're, we're doing okay, and the new season's coming, so that's good, and hopefully I won't be lemons for Liverpool this year. Well played with that one. That was a, that was a good, a good segue there. Um, we, we had big plans for summer podcasts. And as you said, life decided to kick you in the bollocks quite a lot, uh, which prevented it from happening. And that's all right. It's not all right that you had to get the kick <laughs> yeah, in the bollocks. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but here we are. And, uh, yeah, we're excited to get talking about the new season and, I suppose as we head into any new season, there's always going to be a lot of excitement, a lot of, and for every team, you know, every team is excited, even those that will probably end up being in the relegation dogfight. At the start of the season, there's that optimism from everybody. And one of the, the big factors that every year is a major influence on people's levels of optimism or lack thereof is incoming and outgoing transfers. And it is... Look, Sky Sports News have made a, a massive career out of it. Jim White and his, uh, his yellow tie over the years. And I wanted to kind of touch on, before we get into the new season, we have lost some players during the summer, which is, you know, normal and, and natural. But we've lost quite a big player in Sadio Mane. And as Jurgen Klopp said, I think, this week that he was watching the Bayern Munich match and he saw the tunnel and he, he saw Sadio Mane lining out for for Bayern Munich and he went, oh my God, he's he's actually really gone. And then he watched him score for Bayern Munich. And I think that probably is a, the case for a lot of us fans as well. It's like, we kind of have to pinch ourselves. And I know for me, when I looked at the, the squad's lineup, it looked so different. That attack looked so different with... You know, Jara, Nunes, uh, Diaz, Carvalho, Bobby Firmino and, and, and Salah are still there, but still it felt quite different. From a psychological perspective, is there a an adoption period or can it be challenging for players and management to get used to the fact that a big presence in the dressing room and on the pitch has actually moved on? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I think, I think players are used to transfers and used to people coming and going. Um, 
but it's different with this group and it's different when you have a group that's together for a long period of time to lose one of the people who's like really like central to everything and really central to, you know, how the team functions and central to the rise of this team. And like, you know, I can still remember when we were getting Mane in and like a lot of people weren't too thrilled with that transfer and I didn't really know what to think of it. And, um, you know, watching him become the player that he has for us, I think he was often too, like one of the players who was more taken for granted in that attack comparatively. Um, so it's, it is so weird to see him not there. And I think the same way that like we look at the lineup and we're like, oh, like that's really different. Um, the group will definitely go through a period of time where they have to adjust and get used to him not being there. And it's, it's interesting, like how even just his leaving makes us feel like we're in such a transitional phase. And I think part of that is how he left too, which is pretty gracefully. Um, you know, it's sort of in some ways, as much as it's a huge loss, it also felt like, okay, maybe it's time and it's time to turn the squad over a little bit. And, you know, we've got some other big figures in the squad who, you know, probably in the next couple of years will also like go elsewhere or, you know, their playing time will get reduced. Like it's one of the most like graceful rebuilds, which I think is interesting because like on the one side, like you have the benefit of it not feeling like, Hey, we crashed and burned and now we have to start over. But also you look at this group and you're kind of like, wow, it seems really different. And so I think there is some adjusting that has to take place there. And really what needs to happen is, um, you know, someone new needs to step into that role and be more of like a, a leader and a central figure and really like fill those shoes. And does that bring its own sense of challenge to maybe new players? So, like, personally, I believe Mosa is going to have a phenomenal season this year. He looks leaner. He, not that he was carrying any weight or anything like that, but he just looks, you know, I don't know. I can't even describe it. Maybe it's just the aura that he looks like he's ready to explode and, and burn the league up, which is, which is absolutely fine because that's what people can expect of him and he can expect of himself. But with, say, Darwin Nunes coming in, do you think he will feel the pressure of, I have to fill Sadio Mane's boots? And, you know, Mane burst onto the scene when he signed for us. Like you said, a lot of us didn't expect him to have such an impact as quickly as he did. And... Can it be challenging for that new high-profile player to come in and have to fill those boots? And how can the current players and setup support a player into that transition? Um, I will say about Mo Salah first and the way he looks in relation to starting this new season is that I did notice in the Community Shield he's got some pretty questionable highlights in that area. <laughs> like, not usually something I would notice or pay attention to, but I was... Hmm, interesting, interesting, interesting choice. <laughs> um, but here we go anyway. Um, yeah, like I think in terms of a new player trying to fill those shoes, like watching parts of preseason, like my, my thoughts on Darwin Nunez are like twofold. First, I think he really wants to fill those shoes. And second, like I don't think he's ready to. Um, you know, I don't think that's a slight on him at all. Just like, Sadio Mane wasn't ready to when he was 22 or 23 either. You know, like it, it takes time to become, especially the kind of player with the kind of maturity that Mane was and like the way he impacted games. Like I think 
Nunez is ready to impact the game, but he's not ready to play that role on this team. And I don't think he has to, because I think what's kind of made this re- rebuild really graceful is like, you know, you look at the attack and you have someone like Jota who's been there for a couple of years, right? And so, you know, it doesn't feel like, hey, we've got, you know, we have Diaz who's there right now because um, Jota isn't playing, but and he's brand new. Um, but in some ways, like, there's this middle core of players who are, like, kind of into their mid-20s who are ready to step up in a way where, like, the, like a young player like Nunez or a young player like Carvalho doesn't have to, you know. And it's if you think back, I don't know, like, maybe 10 years and you think about what it used to be like when we lost one of our big players, like, when we lost Coutinho, it was like, okay, like, we lost our best player in their prime before they really hit their prime because they're going to a club that felt bigger than us, and now we need to sort of take some shots at players who haven't quite reached their peak yet and hope that one of them can really quickly jump into a role where they can start making an impact right away, which was is totally different right now, which is like, you know, Mane kind of, we've turned a page gracefully on, on him and he's somewhere else, but, you know, behind him, we have a player who's been here for half a season. We have another player who's been there for like two years. And then, um, you know, Bobby maybe playing a bigger role. And yeah, we have some young, new, exciting attackers as well. Um, but, you know, if Nunes this year never broke into the starting front three, I think a lot of people would be disappointed, but I don't think we would be screwed. I think, like, we would be okay if um, Salah, Jota, and Diaz took this season and that was our starting front three and Nunes was behind them, then I, I think would be fine. Um, and psychologically, I think it's just about, you know, how the expectations of the players fit in with the expectations of the team and the club. And I think, um, and the fans too, like, that can play into it as well as far as pressure goes. Clearly, the expectations from fans, both from our team and from, like of other clubs, like have expectations and pressure that they're putting on Joe um, Nunez, which is like totally ridiculous. You can already see Klopp in the media doing a really nice job of blocking for him a little bit and just saying like, "Hey, this is something that's going to take some time. Like, we'll have fun with him now, but like, you know, this is someone who we expect to be good down the line." And I think like you've got some really good maturity within the club. And players like Van Dyke and players like Salah and players like Bobby Firmino and players like Milner and Henderson and, you know, um, Tiago. Like, you just have so many players who have been around for so long that, like, you know, they'll know what this kid is feeling. They're no, they'll know what he probably wants, but they'll also be able to say, hey, like, we don't need that from you right away. Settle into this group. Like, trust the process and... um you know, make a difference for us now in the ways you can, but you don't have to be everything for us. And that, I think, will help take the pressure off the time. Yeah, so it, it essentially comes back to what we discussed before around the culture that Klopp has created, where, you know, we, we are a group, we are, a, you know, our own little community and, and we'll bring you in without, and we'll shield you almost from the, the outside ridiculous expectations and pressure so that mm-hmm. you don't need to to be that way which is absolutely amazing and i did see nunez uh, i think in an interview did say that um he was putting pressure on himself as soon as he came in and it was quite difficult and let's be honest he's only been in a few weeks but that level of expectation and i think he had a conversation with 
Mo Salah or something like that. But he said some of the more experienced players have been great at helping him take that pressure off himself. And I, I think that highlights the importance of the culture that is created, that you don't need Jurgen Klopp to be walking around every single player and, you know, in, you know, on an individual one-to-one basis, trying to help them manage themselves within this group of, of players, that the, the more experienced, as you said, players are able to, to do that as a collective and as and an individual basis as well, which is, I think, shows the, the potential for this, for Liverpool to have a legacy over the, the coming 10 to 15 years, mm-hmm. whether Klopp is here or not. Yeah. I agree. And that, you know, I think, um, I'm still really hopeful that next in line is Pep Linders there. And like, um, but yeah, like, I, it's, it's just, it's so different from what we're used to in the past of like a rebuild suddenly feeling like, oh, we're lost for a little bit. And I think it's just really cool to see this rebuild take place during the prime of the current team. And like, that's really what we're looking at because you, you know, you look, well, who's next in line? And it's like, if Trent and Gomez and Kanate were starting for us now, it would be totally fine, but they're also all young enough that they could be starting for us four years down the line. And like, um, you know, midfield, do we have that like exact young depth? No, but also like, you know, we have Jones and we have Elliot and we have Carvalho and we have, so it's like, there's players there too who are young enough where we can look at them and be like, oh, like, you know, they'll still be moving into their primes. They'll still be before their primes in four years. They'll still be young players, a lot of them especially. And then up front, you know, sort of similar. It's like you're looking at um, Diaz, Jota, and Nunes, who could all still be really just entering their prime in like four years. And that's really cool to see. Is like we have a second team that's strong enough now to be impactful, but also young enough that they can step in next and will have the benefit of that sort of institutional, you know, history. They will have played with and spent time around all of these players who are mentoring them right now. And so it's not even just that they'll be entering their primes. It's they'll also have had a chance to mature like in this culture in a way that will like allow them to carry that culture forward, which is very cool. Yeah. There's not a lot of teams that say that. Yeah. And, how important to the culture do you think was Mo Salah signing his new contract, if at all? It feels like a big deal. Like, you know, it's it's hard to know without being right there. But, um, you know, the things you hear here and there from, like, different podcasts and whatever, like, seem to suggest that, like, um, everyone at the club is comfortable with him getting really big money because of how hard he works and because of how he approaches everything. And... um yeah, I just think like we have a player who's in the running to be the best player in the world every season for the last couple seasons and this season especially, who is now going to be here for like kind of the second half of the peak of his career, which is really cool. Like we haven't had that in a long time. Like as long as I've been a fan, we haven't had that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that's a huge, huge deal. I think between like Van Dyke and Mo Salah, um, and some others, like you just, have monsters who really want to be here. And, um, you know, if him, if Salah and Mane had left at the same time, that would have sort of felt like a, 
a little bit of an uh-oh. So I think to have Mo stay even while Mane is leaving, it's like makes the transition feel a little bit more smooth. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And just, I suppose, on a side note, and this is absolutely nothing to do with sports psychology, <laughs> but how alike are Carvalho and Coutinho in how they play in you know their stature in I just look at him and I see a young Philip Coutinho he's fun to watch get that. He? oh my god he's yeah. excited like, I'm more excited about him than Nunes like I'll be honest I know all really? the hype around Nunes I know the money is around Nunes but just like watching that kid is exciting yeah he, he seems to have a complete lack of fear and complete belief in himself. I think from the the couple of games I've seen him in, I think from a psychological perspective, the challenge for the coaching staff is to get him to be more disciplined. Mm -hmm. And not that he's not disciplined, but to know when is the right time to take a player on, when is the right time to pick a simple pass and not to hold on to the ball too much. Although, if he does hold on to the ball, he's probably so skillful that he could do something miraculous. But I don't know if a, a bit of a, and I'm not calling him a maverick, but if we had a bit of a maverick player in there, I don't know how well that would function within our our setup. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, I mean, bringing it back to the psychological side of it a little bit, like I think that transition you're talking about is one of the hardest things to do. And like, I think we can all look at a bunch of players who have been unbelievably talented and skillful um, at 17, 18, 19, who can't convert that into becoming a player who is really effective and impactful and can continue to play at a certain level by 23, 24, 25, like getting through that like 19 to 22 year old gap with like those skills intact and not to say that people lose those skills. Um, but the mentality changes from being fearless, from being this young kid to having these expectations. And, um, yeah. So if there's a group that I think can do it, I think probably this coaching staff is the, the one for it. Um, but that being said, like we've also watched them take some skillful players and like Ginny Wijnaldum and kind of like, take that out of their game a little bit, like Naby's transition. Like it seemed like there were some parts of his game that he lost a little bit, despite he, you know, he's still an effective player. Um, but it's not, you know, it seems like there was maybe more dribbles that he had before. I, I don't know. I didn't watch him a ton, but that was sort of what I expected at least. So it'll be interesting to see how the coaching staff handle him. Curtis Jones is another one who like probably has more skill in his locker than he's able to use. And so figuring out how to like, hold on to that outrageous talent and transition into like a mature game while still keeping that part of your identity is like a, it's a really difficult transition um, for a lot of athletes to make. That's a tough age to really like hold on to what you got. Yeah. I think his career trajectory is going to be very interesting to watch because like you said, Naby, Curtis, Maybe we'll, the same for Elliot. We'll have to see how that goes as well, where they, Ginny Wijnaldum, probably Jordan Henderson to a lesser extent as well, that that bit of flair gets tempered to the point where it almost becomes 
unusual to see it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's the it's the outlier rather than the the norm. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, um, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Go on. I, I was just going to say, like, the idea of Carvalho playing through balls to Nunes for the next ten years is exciting. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, um, but you know, that being said, like, all those things need to develop in a certain way. Harvey Elliott, I think, like, just watching him a little bit, seeing his interviews, like, has one of the best mentalities that I've seen in like a young player, like not just confidence, but the way he manages his confidence, the way he tries to stay connected with like a fan base. Like I just, I think um, if something ends up holding him back, it won't be his mentality. It won't be the mental side. Mm. of his. Yeah, definitely. And he seems to be fully embracing the opportunity that that's been afforded him. And mm-hmm. it's not, it's not been afforded him by accident or out of preferential treatment. He has the skill and the ability to do it, but he, he just seems grateful to have this opportunity. And, mm-hmm. and again, after the injury as well. Yeah. You know, and even there was a so, where he came out and said, you know, the second half of last year after his, after he'd gotten back from his injury, like part of the reason he wasn't able to get back into the team was because he wasn't practicing well enough and, like being able to take some ownership of that and recognize what he'd done wrong when, um, you know, but even in preseason this year, still seeing that skilled side of his game um, is promising. And, you know, he and Carvalho are close, so maybe it'll be the case that, um, you know, the two of them share some of that confidence and some of that, like, directness and flair and whatever. They're kind of having someone else to, like, be developing in a similar way probably helps. Yeah, and and certainly for Carvalho, having someone who's been through the the culture, been living in the culture for the last couple of years as well, um, mm-hmm. it could could be a a massive boost in in that transition into something new. But I do, I do want to kind of touch on the Community Shield. How could mm-hmm. we talk about now? As a good friend of mine said, if we'd have lost it. It's just a stupid friendly, but we won, and it was it was lovely to watch. And I, I, when I say lovely to watch, obviously it's it's fantastic beating City at any point, but the manner in which we we beat them, how we played, I was so impressed with. And I think this is where the benefit of Nunes, I think, this season could come in, is that everyone talks about a plan B. And it used, it used to be a plan B where there was a big guy up front that you could lump the ball up to and get knockdowns or hope that he'd bully defenders. But I think our plan B is having somebody with that strength and pace and skill to be to keep defenders occupied as opposed to dropping deep. So I think he could bring a, a very different dynamic. And we saw that in two different waves. In the first half where he wasn't on and Bobby was there doing his dropping and played well enough and then... Nunes came in and was more of a focal point. So I think that was really good for those games where we're not playing Man City, where we're not playing teams who will come and attack us. We're playing teams that will sit and defend. So mm-hmm. that's that's fantastic. But do you think, again, from a, a, a psychological perspective, that that win has any impact or any benefit at all for the players and the coaches heading into the season now this weekend? I think it's fun. 
it's better than losing. Um, you know, I, I think I think if you come out and you get hammered by City and they look unbeatable, that's a blow. Um, you know, and, and so like I think to come out and really play with them and have some of the players you'd like to see do well do well, and also see you know Van Dyke put Holland in his pocket a little bit. Though I have to say, like I thought Holland was a monster. Like he didn't he didn't finish his chances, but like that guy's going to score a million goals this year. Like, he's he's a beast. Like, that was my takeaway from that game. And I know there was a lot of, like, oh, Nunez upstaged Holland, and I think, like, maybe Nunez took some chances better, and, like, at the end, but, like, I just, I have no questions about whether or not Holland is going to work out for them. Um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I think agree. from a psychological, well... I said I agree. I think he's going to be an absolute monster, and it may not be this season. It probably will be, but it definitely by next season he's going to be. He's he's going to score forty goals. Yeah, yeah. He's just he's going to be a monster. Um, yeah, I think beating them definitely helps, especially you know. I think the opponent too makes it more helpful. Like if someone else, you know hadn't like been our opponent for that then um you know it's different like we'd beat chelsea in that game let's say that would be like okay cool but i don't think it would make the same difference as getting to play and beat city like um i think that makes a big difference because the expectation is going to be us first them in the title race like i think maybe for a lot of people it always seems like going into the season the majority like people are like oh city's probably got the edge maybe because they've wanted five of the last six years or whatever. But, um, you know, I think us beating them in this game, like starts to make it seem like, okay, like, yeah, it's, it's going to be a battle and, um, yeah, getting to hold the trophy is always fun and, um, bring some morale. And I think for people who are new to the group to like immediately be able to win a trophy, to be able to do that with like our kind of marquee signing, like scoring when their marquee signing didn't is kind of nice. So like, I, I don't know that it could have gone much better. Like it doesn't change the entire world, but I think like, you know, it definitely matters. Okay. And then we go and we lose three nil to Salzburg at home or not Salzburg. Um... <laughs> Who, who was the beat us the next Strasbourg. day? <laughs> Strasbourg, yeah. Um, but that means nothing because it was a team of play, play, players who'd never played together before. I don't know. I mean, I know why they keep doing that because it seems like every year at the end of the season or at the end of preseason, there's like the back-to-back friendlies, like one one day, one the next day. And I know it's like fitness-related. Like there's people who they want to get 90 minutes. And like if you have two teams and you want to get everyone 90 minutes, you need two games. Um that second game never goes well. We always get smacked by someone. Yeah. And maybe it doesn't matter either. So, heading into the season, and I really want to get your view on this. Um, the general consensus is we're looking at another two-horse race. We are going to be battling it out for with City for the league. Do you think, given... The experience of last season, having a quadruple on our doorstep and not achieving the two biggest ones will change or alter how Klopp and the backroom team will set up and prioritise things going forward this season. And do you think that it is possible to 
for them to sit down with the, the squad and say, okay, guys, we won the FA Cup, we won the League Cup, but they're not going to be our priority this year. We're going for the league and the and the, the Champions League. Do you think that that is the type of mentality they they could get the the the, the players to buy into? Um, and do you think it's something they would do? Um, I don't think it's something they would do because it, you know I think club is experienced enough and process focused enough to look at last season and say we basically did this perfectly um, to put ourselves in that position where we were fighting the ways we did. Like there's a couple places where picking up extra points during the year would put us over the edge, but you even look at the champions league final and can you be like that upset with how we played and like, you know, statistically, you look at like the XG and stuff like that, and you would expect us to win that game most of the time. And so um, I think what they'll do is they'll look at the squad and they'll say, hey, we have the depth here and we have the players here to fight for all of these things again. And, um, you know, it was our it was our second team, really. It was our backup players that got us to a spot in the FA Cup and got us to a spot in the League Cup where we could realistically um, be in the finals for those and be in a place for maybe our first team to then come in and win the, the key games. And so I think with that being the, like the case, like you look at most of the positions on the field and like we have enough depth, assuming people stay healthy, um, to fight for all of those and to stick to the process. So I think really what they'll focus on is what's our new process? What are the ways we want to evolve? We've got some new pieces. So you know, evolving in a way that like makes Darwin Nunez more central or like, you know, kind of gets the best out of his skills. That's important. Evolving in a way that gets more out of Diaz, evolving in a way that like, you know, we're not working with Mane anymore. So, you know, I think really what they'll focus on is the evolution, like the evolution of the process. What's the next step? How do we want to be more functional? Where do we want to get better? And let's just keep getting better. And then game by game, the, the players who are on the field are the players in the field. But I don't think that, um, I think the players are already disappointed enough to have not won one of the major trophies. Like, that'll be on their mind. They'll want to do it. I don't think Klopp is the kind of coach who would make that a central focus um, mm. for the team. I think in the short term especially, like, it's too much of a big-picture goal. Like, in the short term, like, you want to make sure you're you're focusing on something that's a process that you can work on today, that you can see day-to-day, -day and... Um, I think that'll be more about what this season should look like on the pitch, game by game, than what it should look like in the table. So it is about, for Klopp, having a longer-term vision of the season, but being able to break that down into tangible, measurable outcomes as you, as they go along. And I'm assuming part of that comes into play when he's looking at integrating the new players. So I suppose he has examples that he can show Nunes, that he can show Diaz, that he can show Carvalho, whoever, that, look, you may not be in the starting lineup for the first two, three months of the season, but look at Andy Robertson, look at mm -hmm. Fabinho, look at Canate. You know, everyone gets there, but this is where the longer term goal comes into play. It's like, 
we, you are part of a squad for a season and look at what we've done in the past. We've used the squad. We've used the squad. And if you come in and you perform well enough, you do get to stay there for the most part or you do get more game time. So it is important to remember that. Is that an easy conversation to have? Uh, sorry, it probably is an easy conversation to have. In practice, is that more challenging when a player's maybe getting itchy feet coming knocking at the door going hey boss you know we're, we're in November now and we're heading for a World Cup and uh, I've only started three games like what what's going on I think that it's an easier conversation to have when the lineups look the way they do and the experience of the team looks the way it does um, because you know, if your starting lineup is Diaz, Jota, and Mo, um, I don't know that you would have Nunez coming and being like, you might say, what do I need to do better? What do I need to improve to get into the team? What do you want me to work on? But, you know, you look in front of you and it's these players who are like established world-class talents and like, you know, no one's going to show up and be like, Harvey Elliott's not going to pop in Klopp's office and be like, I think I deserve chances ahead of Mo Salah, you know, like I, it's, and so I think that makes those conversations easier because there's such an established hierarchy in some ways. Um, and so, you know, I think those conversations can be really hard when the expectations of a player clash with the expectations of the coach. And it's really, it's more important to proactively be on top of sharing expectations than it is to like that conversation, like if you've gotten to a point where the player's expectations are already like so out of whack with the coach's expectations, then you've already missed opportunities for communication um, and creating something where everyone's on the same page. So that's not to say that won't happen because like it definitely can. And that's also probably part of being a younger player, right? Is like being ambitious, wanting to play right away, wanting things to happen really fast and like wanting to see yourself in the lineup really quickly. And so I think to some extent, like handling those conversations well is really important. And then, you know, there's also a big question too of like who's having the conversation. If it's Klopp, like you trust him to do that really well, but there's plenty of managers who that's a much harder conversation for um, because they struggle to do that in a way that um, balances the player's enthusiasm with the reality of the situation and like doesn't need to come across as sort of like harsh or whatever. So... Um, yeah, I think, I think that's a big part of it too. And it's, it's about creating, in my experience, working with athletes, they're more understanding about playing time. If it feels like there's a fair structure that gives them guidance for how do they get where they want to go. And so, mm. you know, what becomes really problematic is when players feel like it doesn't matter what I do. I'm not going to be able to achieve my goals or I'm not going to get a look. I'm not going to get this playing time. Um, I'm not being given a fair chance. Like what's happening isn't fair. And that really undermines a player's confidence. It undermines a player's approach to the game. Like that, that can be really problematic. Um, it's less problematic if you have a lot of consistency in articulating that vision of here's how you get to where you want to go. You know, you're going to need to be patient and, you know, if someone doesn't like that patience or doesn't want to have that patience, then, okay, like, now we have a problem and, like, we'll resolve that by getting you a transfer or something, getting you a loan or something like that. Or, 
Um, you're always going to have a couple unhappy players who are unhappy with how much playing time they're getting. Klopp seems to manage that better than anyone of like preventing that from becoming like a general unhappiness or general dissatisfaction. Like, cause you want the players to be unhappy with the playing time. You want them to stay ambitious. Um, so doing that in a way where you're not shooting down their dreams, but also like giving them something to keep working for, I think is the art part of that. Yeah. And it's, and it's not festering and, you know, disrupting the, the harmony within this, the, the squad, I suppose negatively impacting the, the culture. Where things start to leak and and that kind of thing, and that that's where yeah, I think certainly Klopp has done a phenomenal job, better than anybody else. So I suppose looking around the rest of the league, then, so do you see anybody making big strides to maybe? break up the top two or break up the big six um, from what you've seen. And, you know, let's have a look slightly at, say, you know, the talk now, Chelsea are in negotiations with Michael Edwards to see if he'll become their sporting director and and that kind of thing since he left Liverpool and that they're, you know, Arsenal are only behind Barcelona in net spend in summer transfers and all that kind of stuff. Do you think there's anybody out there who could disrupt the apple cart a bit, given what you've seen? Spurs. Spurs. Yeah. I um just because of Conte. I mean like and like sticking maybe to the, the psychological side of things too is like hmm. um, you know, that group has had really good players for a long time. Um but like Conte is gonna give them an edge that I don't think a lot of them have known how to find. I think Richarlison becomes kind of like a... Fuck, I hate Richarlison, but like, <laughs> yeah. you know, he is exactly the kind of bastard who they need. Like, yeah, you know, like, he just has such an anti-Spurs mentality to him, like, so different from how some of those other players have been. I, th- I think, like, Having someone who creates tension in a game and who makes an opponent hate you, um, like kind of creates a polarization that helps your team like hate the opponent and hate losing more. And so I just think like you've got some people there now more and more who hate losing and, um, that's going to make them more dangerous. And they, they were already talented, um, and had good mm-hmm. players. And so like I think they have a manager now who, tactically makes them a lot better who has the experience of taking a group that maybe didn't really have much business winning the Premier League and winning the Premier League with them and then um, you know mentally just as that's the exact weakness so that that group has had for so long is figuring out how to really become contenders and I think that's that's what he specializes in on the, the mental side of the game is turning a group into like a really hard group to beat a team that wants to win um I don't really believe in Tuchel. I don't really, I don't know what to expect from Arsenal, but like they just never seem to quite figure it out. I, I mean, I don't, I'm not super afraid of Man United <laughs> right now. Um, I love, I do love that Ten Hag came out and like said that all eras end. Um, 
you know, when asked about Pep and Klopp and stepping into that, like I do, I have some respect for that. Like, I don't think you should come in and be yeah. too respectful of your opponents, but like, I think, um, if this era ends, this United group with him in charge is probably not the one that's going to end it, but maybe, maybe I'll be eating my words. I don't know. Maybe he's better than I realize. Like I, um, I don't know. What do you think? Anyone you're afraid of? I, I would, I would have said Spurs. I think they've, like that, you know, I hate Richarlison, but he's a, he's a decent player. But I, I just wonder where he's going to fit. Like, is he going to get in ahead of Son and Kane? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But, but who knows? Maybe he'll, he, he will kick the, the boss's door down to, <laughs> to, to say why, why I'm not there. I think, uh, yeah, Tuchel, I'm, Chelsea just seem, in in flux right now and have no identity. I think that's the thing, and and maybe that's why they want Michael Edwards to come in and help to create an identity. But they just seem to be lots of different moving parts, so I wouldn't be too worried about them. Arsenal, I just think Mikel Arteta is just not good enough to a coach, or or not established enough yet as a coach to. Let me rephrase that. Mm-hmm. I think where he thinks he is versus where he actually is in his development as a manager and a coach aren't aligned. So I don't think he realizes what he doesn't know. I think he just thinks he knows everything and he doesn't. Mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't be worried about them. Although I do think they've made some good signings. I think Sanchenko and, and Jesus are, are decent players, you know, top 10 players. Um, and then United, I think, is going to be fascinating to watch over the next six months. And uh, actually, in the next six days because but really because I think they are at a really really interesting tipping point with the Ronaldo situation because if if Ten Hag has come out and said that you know he's not ready to play yet um, but how long that will last if the board turn around to Ten Hag and say he needs to be playing because he's costing us half a million quid a week that completely undermines him as a coach and prevents the culture from the, a new culture from being built. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they back the coach and go, if he sits on the bench, we're going to give him half a million a week until his contract is gone and we are fully supportive of you. That's what they need to do. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean that Ronaldo is going to sit there and just take it. I think he's going to create a lot of disharmony. It, things will not go well. Apparently, the, the talk is that he was the one who was, you know, creating tensions with when Ragnick was there and calling him, what was, it, was he calling him Ted Lasso or something like that? And, you know, within the squad, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Like, it's going to be a fascinating process to watch. Um, and if, if they do back Ten Hag, he, he has shown that he can bring a team to a really high level that probably shouldn't be, you know, getting to Champions League semi-finals given the resources that they have. So, you know, he's got his chops there and, you know, he could, with the right supports and the right structure and culture in place, build something. But it's, it's five, five, seven, ten years off, definitely. Yeah, you know, I think the other thing is like, just institutionally, the one thing they've needed 
forever is like a really good holding midfielder. And like, you know, it's still, unless I miss something big, like it's still not something they've addressed is like their biggest need. So like there's, there's some pieces there where they could put together a really good group for sure. Um, and I agree, like if you let Ten Hag create a culture, maybe he's the kind of person who, who could create something really great and has done a nice job of, um, you know, putting together some teams tactically that have been really successful. And I think, you know, it's interesting too, because there's a difference between Ajax has such a culture already that Ten Hag didn't need to go there and create a culture. Like Ajax has a culture that's been in place for a really long time. Um, it's interesting to see if someone who's been embedded in that culture can carry parts of that over. And maybe he is a person who has that sort of force of personality then, um, and like the interpersonal skill to create culture within a group. Um, but at United, you need to be better than tactically good right now to have the kind of success that's required. Like you need to be someone who can just be like a force and really like totally reshape something. You have to be a bigger personality than Cristiano Ronaldo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which is not easy thing to do. No. And, you know, he's had his tipping point already in terms of the, you know, having to come out and scold the whatever, four or five players that left before the end of the last preseason friendly. Like, that is not that doesn't bode well. No, it doesn't bode well you know? at all. That's like immediately, what the hell is going on? Yeah. And and it, that's what I'm saying. It's going to be interesting to see if he can turn around and say, well, those four or five players, they're not kicking off the season this week. It would be fine to say they're not playing the next friendly, but are they not going to play the next, the, the first match of the season? Yeah. And w what's going to happen then? Will the fans back them? Will the, the board back them? Oh, man, it's... Thank fuck it's not us. <laughs> no, right. Seriously. Yeah. But it's... I'm, I'm excited for the season to start. Me too. I really, really am. Um, Andrew, thank you so much for that intro into the new season. Thank you. We, wow. do, wanna, we, we do want to say a massive thank you to our Discord channel uh, members who did kind of give us ideas for some of the topics that we will address during the season. So... Although we haven't done it during the summer, which we planned, we will definitely be taking up some of those um, ideas and, and building them out into full podcasts that we will bring out to you during the year. And I hope you stay with us. And uh, yeah, hopefully we have another uh, quad that we take home this time. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think uh, let's get back to this soon and hopefully uh, we'll have some points on the table too. Exactly, exactly. All right. As always, if you are a subscriber to the, the the channel, thank you so much. And if you're not and you're on the free side, why not subscribe? It's the price of a cup of tea or a cup of coffee once or twice a month. It is well worth it with all the content that you're going to get. Right. That's us over and out from myself and Andrew, and we'll see you at the next Minefield podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now 
at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.